the, the um, focus of this week is be a disciple, be here. Join in what God is doing. Join together in what God is doing. And so today it's a call to commitment. The C word, commitment. <laughs> Commitment's a big deal. Um, there was a, a chicken and a pig that grew up, lived in the same barnyard. And, uh, and they were, they'd heard about a need down at the church where they were trying to feed some people that were hungry, didn't have food. And so they're thinking, what can we do? What can we do? And so the chicken, one day all of a sudden came up with an idea. A uh, chicken said, hey, I know what we can do. We can serve uh, bacon and eggs to the people down at the church that are hungry. And, you know, we can help them serve that way. And uh, yeah, Pig said, listen, I'm going to have to think about that idea. For you, it's a contribution. For me, it's a full commitment. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we can contribute to the work of God. And I know all of you in some way probably have or do contribute to this church even or to the things that God's doing around the world. But I really want to call you, which God calls us, Jesus calls us, to step into a place of commitment. Because we have a saying during this series, high commitment equals high growth. If you don't commit to something, you're not going to see it impact your life. And so I do. I want to challenge you. I want to call you to make a commitment, to be here, to be a part of what God's doing here. We're going to be looking at the uh, book of Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bible or uh, on your app. Um, on your phone, whatever it is that you're looking at the scripture in. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll look at the second half of that chapter. But uh, this is a book, book of Hebrews was written to a group of people, individuals uh, in the New Testament era, the first hundred years, probably maybe around 60 AD, written to a group of individuals who were under persecution. The book of Hebrews is an interesting book because we don't have identified in the book who the author is, which most of the books in the Bible have the author in it, and then we don't have who the audience was or who it was written to. It's also a little different because it has a little different form than the other books in the New Testament, for sure. It kind of reads like a sermon. And so some uh, folks have thought over time that this was a sermon maybe that was preached, you know, and then it was written down, or it was written down and then it was preached. But whoever the author was, um, was probably a good preacher or order because it really uh, is a powerful uh, book. It reads that way and it's inspiring and it's impactful. And so, um, you know, over the years as I've looked at this and studied at different times, you know, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think the author of Hebrews is Apollos. Now, Apollos was uh, also one of those uh, that was influential in the early church. He was a leader. He wasn't necessarily an apostle in that he didn't walk with Jesus. But he served along with Paul at times and others, and he was influential. He's mentioned in the New Testament. Now, I came to this conclusion over the years, just kind of thinking about it and processing it. And, and uh, this week, as I was studying for this uh, sermon and looking again, um, I discovered that Martin Luther, who was a father of the Reformation, also thought Apollos was the author. I said, there you go. Made me feel kind of smart, you know. So if you don't think it was Apollos, Martin Luther, Pastor John. You should, you should think about that, all right? I'm just kind of joking. But, uh, but it doesn't really matter in some ways. Uh, people thought over time that it was the Apostle Paul and different stuff. But, but at any rate, you know, kind of a consensus thought is it was written to uh, the Jewish Christians who lived in Rome because we know that those folks were under persecution and so certainly a group of people that it could have been directed to. But the, the, the tone of the book of Hebrews is uh, we can draw from it, we can understand it, and we can be impacted by it. And it's a call to commitment. 
It's a call to commitment. So um, as we dig into this, uh, uh, let's go to prayer. If you pray with me. God, thank you so much for today, the opportunity to be here. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. You're calling us uh, to renew our commitment to you. And I pray, Father, you'd speak to us, that you would challenge us, that we'd hear from you clearly this morning as to the call that you're placing on our life. Father, we all need to hear a fresh calling from you, uh, to reassert ourselves to what it means to be your disciple. And so I just pray that you'd speak to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a few commitments that I'm asking you to make as we go through this campaign. I want you to get the most out of it. I want you to grow through this. And so I know commitment equals growth. And so there's some commitments I'm asking you to make. One is to be here, to be in a service each week. We got a Saturday night service. We got two Sunday. Uh, Use church as an excuse not to do something else, right? And be here eight weeks. Make that commitment. Uh, Secondly, get into a life group. Life groups are, we still have some openings. Those are groups that meet during the week. And uh, some of them, we have kind of groups. We have a men's group and women's group here on Sunday mornings that are just always open. You can jump into those anytime. But get into an arena where you're, you're um, learning and studying the, li- uh, the life group lessons in that part of the campaign. It's going to make a big impact. Um, another uh, another um, commitment through this is to focus on the attitude of the week. And again, we're focused on those in our life groups. Um, Ken went through our verse from last week, Matthew 5, 3, this week. And, and the, the, the focus attitude was that you need God. This week, it's that you need God's forgiveness. First of all, we need to know we're spiritually poor and we need God. The second thing we need to know is that uh, we have sin in our lives and we don't come to God with a posture of uh, uh, pride and confidence, but we come to him knowing that we, uh, we're in a posture of mourning over what we've done, over the nature of our lives. This is key for us to come to God. Um, and so this week, Again, the attitude is you need God's forgiveness. Are you living your day-to-day life with an awareness that you need God's forgiveness? So important. The, the key verse for the week, Matthew 5, 4, says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning over our condition is the right response once we recognize where we stand before God. Um, joining in what God's doing here at Mitchell Berean means making a commitment to God and to a group of people. In this passage, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to find a number of commitments that are being asked of these believers. And we're going to learn from them because they're the same. They're directed at us too. The first one is this. Make a commitment to the same truth. Make a commitment to the same truth. Read along with me, if you will, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. This is what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, Because of the blood of Jesus, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. The writer Hebrews, speaking to a group of people that under pressure are leaving salvation found in Jesus, and they're going back to living under the law of Moses. This is the pressure that they're feeling. And uh, they're not going to a different religion. They're not going to become a Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, you know. 
<laughs> They're not going back to, to worship the, the, pagan, um, the pagan gods of Rome, okay? But they're going back to the old system. That's all they're doing. They're not making a huge shift. They, were, they trusted in Jesus as Savior, saw him as Messiah. And they're just going, listen, uh, that's not working. <laughs> we're under pressure here. Our lives are being threatened because of it. We're just going to go back and follow the law. Because that's a legal religion in the Roman Empire. And the writer Hebrews is saying, listen, there is a truth regarding the gospel. There is a truth. There's something that really happened through Jesus. And it matters. It's not okay to play around with the truth of what happened and the truth of what God's doing. And so he presses in on them. He says, listen, um, the truth of the gospel is that through Jesus' blood, through his death, which mattered, okay, there was a sacrifice for sins that paid for all sin. And so uh, he references this curtain that allows us to enter into the Holy of Holies, right? And so in the tabernacle, that uh, Solomon, or that was in the Old Testament under Moses, and then the temple that Solomon built, there was, a, there was a room called the Holy of Holies. And this was the room in which God's presence dwelt. And no man or woman could enter that room because of our sin. And so they didn't have access. One of the things that happened when Jesus died on the cross, there were things that took place. There was earthquake. Uh, it, it went dark. Um, the graves opened up and, and dead, the dead began to walk around. And another thing happened. That curtain that was access into God's presence, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And the significance of it is immense. That Jesus' sacrifice, his death on the cross, his blood shed, allowed for forgiveness of sins. It allows for us to have access to the Father. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, this matters there's a truth of the gospel that you and I, he says, you and I believe in. We can't leave that. Three keys. New life. He said there's new life through Jesus. He, is, he has opened up a new and life-giving way through his sacrifice. There's direct access to God. We can go directly to God the Father. And we've been made clean. Jesus' blood has sprinkled us and cleansed us from our sin. And then he says, and then we've been washed in water. What is that that he's talking about? Well, that's baptism, right? We trust in Christ, and internally, we're cleaned. We're cleansed. Our sin is washed away, and we're made, uh, we're renewed, and we're made right. God sees us as though we never sinned. But we still need to do something. There's a ceremony that we go through called baptism, where we're immersed under the water, and our bodies are washed. And this is to signify what's happened inside of us. At the end of this campaign, November 22nd, we're going to try to, if everything works out, we're going to try to do just one big service for everybody and, uh, and gather together. And we're, we want to do baptisms at that service. And so if you've trusted in Christ, but you've never followed in obedience to be baptized, man, would you reach out to me? Would you contact me? My email address is on the website, phone number. Uh, contact the church office. I'd love to talk to you. And we'd love to see some of those in our church that haven't done that yet um, follow in obedience to be baptized. And that's just a signa It signifies the cleansing that's happened, on in uh, happened inside of us. The sacrificial system, which was to show the weight of sin, was the sacrificing of blood and goats, or, or uh, cows and goats, right? And yet that had, not, had no power to really cleanse us from sin. But Jesus' death allowed us to be made clean. A gal named Betty Nesmith 
um, was a secretary to bank in Dallas years ago, when she decided that there must be a way to correct typewriter mistakes without erasing the ink. Now, be honest, how many of you, raise your hand, do you remember typewriters? Oh, wow. I know it's kind of like a rotary phone, you know. Not everybody remembers that. You haven't all had to deal with it? Yeah. In seventh grade, I had to take typing class, all right, on a typewriter. And it was, I was lucky because it was electric. <laughs> and so it was a lot easier than the, you know. So uh, there, there used to be manual typewriters. You really had to push on. So um, I think I got up to maybe 40 words a minute or something. I'm not a rock star at it, but I, I was competent. I memorized the keyboard. Uh, this gal said, listen, there's a problem here, and there was with typing. You made a mistake. It messed up your whole document. And so she said, there's got to be a way to fix this. And so she came up with a formula for a fluid that would paint over mistakes, right? If you use typewriters, you remember this uh, little trick. And so uh, she came up with this fluid. Pretty soon, every secretary in her office was using it. They were all using it because uh, it, it, it just made their job a lot easier. They could correct a mistake instead of starting over. And so she called it mistake out. And uh, she began to sell it. She started a business selling it. And uh, pretty soon she was, well, at the time she sold it to Gillette Company, she sold it for $47.5 million. It was making about $3.5 million a year, uh, and it grossed $38 million. Listen, the blood of Jesus does not paint over our sin. It erases it. It is as though we never sinned. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. His sacrifice. Everything that you and I have ever done. Everything that every human being ever did and ever will do. That flies in the face. That is in opposition to God. That falls short of his standard for us. Jesus' death paid for it. We don't want to overlook. To diminish. To take advantage of or to not uh, to fail to recognize the power of his sacrifice. A commitment to the same truth. The truth of the gospel brings us into, when we put our trust in it, in, in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross for us, the truth of the gospel brings us into a new life, which includes new relationships. The community we are called into is the, called the church. The church is what Jesus started. It's a community of Christians who have put their trust in Jesus and who are walking through this life together. And the church only works if we make a commitment to each other. Let's keep reading Hebrews chapter 10 in, in verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In order to remain firm in our faith, we've got to remain firm in our commitment to relationships with others who are following Jesus. We've got to remain firm in that. We've got to make a commitment. Jesus had resources available to him. That's how he carried out his mission. He had the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit. He prayed to the Father to get direction. He had a direct line of communication to the Father. He had uh, the scriptures, which he studied, and he had key relationships, people that he served with, right? 
that he was uh, working with. We have those same relationships. We have those same resources. If we fail to utilize those resources, we're going to fail at accomplishing the mission. And so uh, it's so important that we understand that relationship is how we grow. It's how we, uh, it's how we advance as followers of Jesus. Uh, study, I don't know who did this, but at some point there was a study done, I read about this week, where babies were withheld from any human interaction. And, and human beings will die if there's no connection, if there's no relationship, right? There's no interaction with other human beings. We require that. And the same thing's true spiritually. We're not going to grow in isolation. Isn't it interesting that in the scriptures we see our God, who is one God, right? We're monotheistic. We believe in one God. But he exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is what we call that doctrine. It shows us that God exists in community, right? He exists in community. We were not made to walk in isolation. We've got to walk in relationship with others. And commitment is what keeps us in those relationships. If we don't make a commitment to it, if we only follow what we feel like doing, then we're going to fail at it. We're not going to stay connected. And that's going to affect our spiritual life. Um, Years ago, I started to notice a trend um, in attendance, church attendance. And, and I saw it, I just saw it slipping and sliding. It's been happening over years. Um, and so it uh, got to the point a few years ago where I saw that uh, regular church attendance was like once in six weeks. That's regular church attendance. And uh, I just got to stand here as your pastor and tell you that's not regular church attendance. That's not going to sustain you spiritually. And I know, hope, that's not all you get spiritually. But to invest in your spiritual life and your walk with God requires a commitment to be with other Christians and to grow together. I mean, what is that, eight and a half times a year, I think? Um, That's just not going to do it. Uh, Why don't we flip that and move it to, hey, I missed eight eight and a half times this year. Not I was in church that many times, right? And and I'm not trying to put a burden on you that's unreasonable, okay? I'm not trying to pile on rules on you. I'm trying to challenge you with behaviors that are going to ensure that you're growing. If you want to get somewhere, If you want to move somewhere as a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, there's a commitment required, and that requirement is that you're here, you be there, right? You you get around other people, and you're part of that that community. Church is not the same when you're not here. (laughs) There's something that happens in this room, and I know it has very little to do with me. It has to do with the fact that God has promised to be with his people when we gather together. He promises to be there, and it is his presence— it is the power of the Holy Spirit in this room that, that causes that dynamic uh, interaction with him. And we grow through it, and we're encouraged by it, and we're challenged by it. And that's the nature of it. Um, I know uh, most Sundays, I get, I'm standing up here in this spot, right? But I sense the presence of God. I can see the power and sense the power of his presence, and I grow through it. But when I'm sitting in your spot, and I do get to on occasion— there's nothing like being in a service where the, the gospel's being preached, where I'm hearing the word of God. There's something that happens there. God speaks to me in a different way than when I'm, even when I'm doing my own quiet time. And so just want to encourage you, not trying to burden you. I'm not trying to put something else on your head. I know we all have different situations in life and our lives and what we're able to do. But I just want to challenge you. Think about that. Can you increase that commitment? Because it matters. I want you to be able to say something. Um, and that is that I'm a part of the community of believers. I belong to a church. I'm a part of God's family.
The church needs to be healthy and strong. This happens as we get healthy as individuals. Getting healthy requires a commitment to stop sinning. It requires a commitment to stop sinning. Let's keep reading Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the, and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how, the worse, uh, how worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, who have tra- uh, treated the blood of the covenant which makes us holy as if it were common and unholy. Uh, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also says the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay, that's terrifying. I mean, if you're, if you're not terrified after reading that, you're not awake, not paying attention, like that's terrifying. The challenge that is issued there uh, should shake you a little bit because uh, what he's talking about is very serious and the nature of it is very serious. He's saying, listen, there is a true gospel. There's a way in which we're safe. And to move away from that, to go into another place to find salvation, you're in danger. It's really a warning that he's given. And the language is strong and, and the examples he gives are strong, um, but he, it's, a, it's valid. It's a warning. Obviously, it's the word of God. And so to us, it needs to soak in and, and, and it needs to impact us that, that salvation is found through Jesus. The sacrifice that God made in sending his son to earth was not light. And he doesn't tolerate other plans and other ways for us to live. This, uh, the nature of this text has really speaking to where we find salvation. And as I told you, these people, the book is written to, were tempted to go back and live under the law of Moses. And the writer's saying, listen, if you do that, there's no sacrifice for sins under the law of Moses. Those sacrifices are not going to save you because God has moved forward. And he is once and for all taking care of sin. You can't go back to try to find salvation under an insufficient system. You can only find forgiveness where it's found through the sacrifice and the work that God's done. And so he warns them. And that's the, the specific sin that's being referenced here. And that is, that's really what he's talking about. But the truth is that the principle of how we live in relationship to sin is, is in this text as well, which is, do we live in such a way that once we encounter the truth of God's word, we know what God's saying to us, don't do this, do this, but we continue to walk in that pattern, we're walking in a place that's dangerous. And we need to take seriously God's admonition. Here's the process that it has to work. And this, the, the biggest step oftentimes is the first one. Is that God presents to us in his word what is sin and what's not sin. He tells us clearly. And the first step in dealing with sin in our lives is an agreement with God. Simply to agree. And honestly, a lot of us struggle right there. We struggle with agreeing. I'm not sure I think that's wrong. I'm not sure that these rules are really right. And so I get that. There, there can be an honest struggle. Am I going to agree with this? But if you've trusted in Christ and you put your faith in him, you really have no argument. <laughs> you have no argument because what God says is right. 
and you've accepted salvation in him. So guess what goes with that? His structure, his instructions to us. And so we've got to grapple with that. We begin to understand and to learn. What is it that God doesn't want me to do? What is it that he wants me to do? How do I have to change my life? But the first step is agreement. Agreement is what the word confession means. Confession is simply to agree. And so I agree with God. The second step in dealing with sin in my life is called repentance. The word repentance means this, that I'm walking this direction, I'm going this way with my life, and I stop, I turn around 180 degrees, and I walk this direction. That's what repentance is. It's to do a 180. It's to reverse course. And so it means that I'm walking in a direction, doing what I want to do. And I'm confronted with the word of God and the truth of God, with the gospel. And I understand what God wants me to do. And so I stop and I turn around and I start moving towards him. And so I've got to walk in these. I've got to make a commitment to stop sinning. I've got to begin to work with and work against and battle with the sin in my life. And not justify it, not accept it, not say, ah, is it really that big a deal? Does anybody really care? Does God really care? I remember talking to some of my family one time about an issue, and, and it's a big issue, and, and they just said, well, I don't know. Does God really, does he really have time to worry about what I'm doing in that part of my life, you know? Um, yeah, <laughs> he does. He cares about what we do, how we live. We belong to him. He bought us, right? He paid for our sin, and he, he asks us, he demands that we, we stop walking the way that we have been. One of the problems with the issue of sin is that none of us are going to completely overcome sin in our lives. We're going to struggle with it. I do not believe that a human being can attain sinless perfection, all right? I don't think, that can, I don't think that's possible. And so we walk with this process where we've got to ask, we've got to confess, right? And, and 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. And so when we trust in Christ, our sins are washed away. But then we have a relationship with God. We have a process of growing and changing and moving. And so that requires that we're dealing with the sin in our lives. And so we continue to work on that. We continue to go to him and confess on a regular basis and to repent. But the problem with sin is it can push us away and isolate us from relationships. It can cause our relationships with Christian community make us feel guilty uh, it makes us feel isolated, like um, we have shame sometimes because of it. And, and, or we just don't feel like we're on the same page with others. Well, they're going to judge me for that. You know, and there's all these things where our behaviors in our life and our alignment with Jesus affect our relationships with other Christians. And so we can stay away because of that. And I think what I want to challenge you today, and I think we have a, a special church here, Mitchell Brian, because there's not a sense to which that we're going to achieve perfection or we need to walk in that. But we really have an attitude that says, you know what, we're real people, right? We're real people and we're a real church and this isn't just a place for people to come and look like they have it all together. Uh, Jim, Jim Corley met with his friend Alex at a dealership where Alex worked. Jim said, I feel like a hypocrite every time I go to church because I fail to live for Christ so often. Alex said, uh, what do you call that part of the dealership? Uh, uh, Jim asked, uh, nodding to the area outside the cubicle. You mean the showroom? Alex said, yeah. Uh, what's behind the showroom, past the parts counter? The service department, Alex said. Well, what if I told you that I didn't want to bring my car to the service department because uh, it's running rough and it has problems? Alex said, well, 
That's ridiculous. That's the point of the service department, to fix your car when it's broken. And he said, well, why don't we look at church in the way that God does? Church is not a showroom where we come, put on that face and make it look like our life's all together. And none of us have a struggle with sin and we're just everything's great. How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. No, it's wonderful. Oh, everything's perfect. I mean, churches can be that way. We can get in that pattern. Can I one-up the person next to me, right, and look like I got a little bit better than they do, right? We can fall into that pattern. Churches can. I don't believe we are that way here at Mitchell Brand. Because the truth is, I think what God says is the church is a service center, and we go there because we need something fixed, because we need something tweaked. If we don't fix it, the wheel's going to come off. Right? If we don't get that bearing fixed, if we don't get some grease put on it, if we don't get something changed, I'm going to have a real problem. And so we come to church, and we should come to church that way. We're not here to put on show. We're here to get real and to recognize we need God. We're all battling with sin, and we're all losing in some area of our life, and hopefully we're all winning in some area of our life. And I need you, and you need me, to keep us all moving in the right direction. James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to each other in order to find healing. There's a dynamic as I interact with others where I can find healing I can't find without you. We're starting a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and Celebrate Recovery is intended to do that. It's to bring about healing in my life, help me to recognize and discover areas where I'm stuck, things that I've been battling and, and working through for a long time, and to find healing there. You know, a lot of sin struggles at their root are there because I'm wounded, because I got something broken in me. <laughs> That's where a lot of sin patterns come to play. Sometimes it's rebellion and defiance, but a lot of times it's coming because of a hurt. And so getting healing becomes essential if I'm going to gain victory. Health comes as we remove the sin in our lives. It continues as we grow. And growth comes when we make a commitment to endure suffering. Let's keep reading Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Think back on those days, the early days, when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it might mean, ter or even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten even. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when you owned, uh, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. The role of perseverance through suffering is uh, well documented in the scripture. There's a progression that we learn. We see it in Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 4. A progression of suffering to perseverance to character development and maturity. We've got to walk through suffering. So often, we want out of it. We want to escape it. We want to take a shortcut. We want to find a way not to go through it. And yet the reality is, it is only through suffering that we're going to grow. We're going to mature. Um, and so we've got to engage it. We've got to walk through it and find victory. As we grow, as we mature as followers of Jesus, we are encouraged to follow Jesus serving until he returns, or at least until we leave this life. This happens as we make a commitment to remain faithful. Let's finish up Hebrews 10 here, in, uh, starting verse 35. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. 
Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. He's speaking to them a challenge and encouragement. Stick with it. Continue until the end. The blessings of God are found when we walk in obedience to God. When we walk in obedience, we're going to persevere through trials. We're going to persevere. We're going to grow. Our character is going to grow. We're going to mature. And we're going to find ourselves able to handle the struggles of life. And we're going to be able to be leaders. And we're going to be able to help others find their way into the kingdom of God. One of the steps, chair three, that we've got, one of the calls to Jesus is a call to service. It's a call to get involved, to begin to work alongside Jesus to accomplish his mission. And so um, because that's one of the chairs and because I want to really ask you through this campaign to make faithful service a top priority for your life, because I know that you're going to grow as you serve, then, uh, then I want to call you to something special today, and we're going to do something a little different. We've got some tables set out in the, in the lobby that you probably saw as you came in, and those tables have our ministry areas for our church. Ministry leaders are out there, and there's opportunities to get involved, to serve, and I want to encourage you with that. I want you to know what those areas are, and I want you to prayerfully consider getting involved, that God has a place for you here at Mitchell Brian to serve, and that service becomes essential to your spiritual growth. And, and so as a pastor, I just want to give you those opportunities. I'm not trying to push you into anything. I want you to prayerfully consider service. Um, I don't want you to sign up and then not do it. I don't want you to, um, you know, sign up and jump in and then drop out in a couple weeks. I'd rather have you take some time and think about it. But if you go out and look at those tables, you're going to find opportunities. And we want you to get involved here. This is a church where we want people to be able to serve. And so um, that's my encouragement to you. Um, service is so important. It keeps us in the right posture before God and others. During the American Revolution, there was a man in civilian clothing. He rode past a group of soldiers who were repairing a small defensive barrier. Their leader was shouting instructions to them, but making no effort to help them. And this civilian on the horse uh, called out to the leader. He said, hey, why aren't you helping these guys? And uh, the man re retorted, well, sir, I'm a corporal. So the guy said, oh, uh, sorry, I apologize. And he stopped there a minute, got off his horse, began to help the soldiers. Once they got the job done, um, he looked at the corporal. He said, Mr. Corporal, if in the future you face a job you don't have enough men to accomplish, just contact your commander-in-chief, get a hold of me, and I'll come and help. And the man was none other than George Washington. And he had walked with a humility that allowed him to serve. Listen, we all need to walk with that uh, posture through life. God calls us to serve, and service becomes essential to our growth. God, thank you for this chance to be here today. I pray that you would uh, encourage us. I pray for each person here, Father. There'd be an encouragement to continue to walk towards you, to walk towards obedience, to make a commitment, to step up, and to say, listen, I'm going to be a part of something. And I'm going to step into it. I'm going to invest in what you're doing. Because God, through that, we begin to see our lives change and we begin to grow. And so I pray for each person here as they sense your presence in their life, your activity, they would, they would respond. They would respond in obedience to you. 
God, thank you for your call to us. Thank you that you believe in us enough to share your work with us. Pray these things in Jesus' name.